So people that have autoimmune conditions, people that have digestive problems, people that have depression, anxiety, people that have fatigue issues, people that have type two diabetes, heart disease, we can help to lower this naturally. This is an endogenous natural anti-inflammatory we can tap into and it upregulates pro-antioxidant, pro-longevity benefits like the NRF2 pathway, the AMPK pathway, and there's a pathway called mTOR, the mammalian or mechanistic target of rapamycin. It helps to really support these anti-disease longevity pathways as well, because fasting helps to lower that mTOR pathway or balance it out. There's so many exciting studies around fasting. This is not about disordered eating. This is an amazing tool to use an intuitive, mindful way to improve how you feel. This is about integrating feeling great in your life, not some restrictive thing. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bost, and Dr. Will Cole is our first repeat guest on the show, and he is undoubtedly one of the most experienced and educated individuals in the field of nutrition and functional medicine. Dr. Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who specializes in clinically investigating the underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Cole is also a best-selling author of multiple books and hosts a highly popular podcast, the art of being well. Today, our conversation takes a somewhat similar path as our initial one as we dive deep into the topics of functional medicine and holistic health. But this time, we talk quite a bit about the topic of fasting, and not just fasting, intuitive fasting, which is also the title of his latest New York Times bestselling book. And much of our discussion today focuses on the science of fasting and how it can build resilience, improve your brain health, reduce inflammation, and boost your immune system. Dr. Cole also shares the importance of having metabolic flexibility when it comes to maximizing your health and why metabolic inflexibility is at the root of so many health problems that we are facing. And believe it or not, fasting is a great way to develop metabolic flexibility, which you will learn about today. I also picked Dr. Cole's brain about what he's currently advising his patients to do to boost their immunity and help protect them from viruses. And Dr. Cole showcases his four-week plan to get started fasting in a way that's comfortable, effective, and of course, intuitive. Essentially, this is a conversation that will help you embrace the incredible benefits of fasting without feeling overwhelmed and frightened. And hopefully after listening to this episode, you will feel inspired to take control of your health so that you can do what you can to reduce inflammation, strengthen your immune system, and live longer. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome Dr. Will Cole to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Will Cole, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm happy to have you. And you know, it's funny, you and I, before we recorded, I was telling you, I was like, you know, what am I going to talk to him about that I didn't cover? Because I had, you know, Dave Asprey on a little while back and we talked a good bit about fasting. And what we didn't go as deep on, I don't think is 
a lot of the science. We kind of touched on some of the science, but I'd like to kind of get into a lot of the, the scientific benefits of fasting, get into autophagy, hormesis, and kind of what it does to the brain, what it does to the body to help you become more uh, metabolically flexible yeah. and more intuitive, if you will. But I kind of want to start, I think, just you know, with everything going on in, in COVID-19 and you being you know, one of the most highly sought after functional medicine doctors there are like, what kind of approach have you been taking with your patients to kind of help them put that shield up and be, keep their immune system strong and prevent them from getting COVID-19 from the best of your ability? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that obviously you can't control everything. We know it's quite a contagious virus. So you have to take all the proper precautions that all the main advice that we're hearing. I, I, of course, advocate that. But from a functional medicine perspective, if you do get it, how my job is to say, how can we create a immune resilience, a metabolic resilience, a health resilience, so you have the best chance of fighting it and, and overcoming it quickly and and not being a, neg- a negative statistic. So that's what I want to control the things we can control. And we have actually quite a bit of agency over our health specifically with this virus to improve our outcomes because we know for the most part, the more severe manifestations of, of COVID-19 in people's health are people that are predominantly people that are very unhealthy or people that are uh, metabolically inflexible. Most of the cases are people with some sort of metabolic issue things like vitamin D deficiency as well. They, they, they have issues going on in their health. And statistically, that's a lot of Americans. So yeah. my job is to say, what can we do today to do the best we can to control the things we can, we can't control everything to improve our health. Um, and metabolic inflexibility actually is the big, the major conversation that I'm having within intuitive fasting. It's what I have with my patients too. So it's not a new conversation that I'm having uh, through the through a book form, it is a, a conversation that I'm having for people that aren't my patients. What can we do to improve metabolic flexibility, meaning better blood sugar regulation, lowered inflammation levels, uh, better biomarkers from a cardiometabolic standpoint? Uh, and we wield a lot of influence on in our biochemistry. So that's definitely my message for anybody, whether that's a pandemic or no pandemic. We're talking about metabolic inflexibility, insulin resistance. That this is the leading cause of death in the United States, regardless, whether it's COVID-19 or it's a heart attack and stroke or something like this, it doubles your risk factor for lots of different ways of dying and having chronic disease. So let's, what can we do today to start improving our health in the positive direction? And there's a lot that we can do. This isn't something that's necessarily, it doesn't have to be a death sentence. We wield a lot of influence in improving our health. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot that there's been a lot of correlation between patients who've had COVID-19 and comorbidities that had to do with metabolic issues. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, as we alluded to a few minutes ago, there's a lot we can't control when it comes to the virus. Like you can't control if you're actually going to contract it or not to a certain extent, but you know, I've been saying very consistently that there is a lot you can control. And you can do everything you possibly can to make sure that you don't get it or that when you do get it, you kind of lighten the load a little bit because you strengthen your immune system, you improve your, your body's um, ability to be resilient, and you manage your stress. All the things that we know can help 
just strengthen our immune system and have us become more healthier and more likely to be able to fight off a virus like that. And, and you're right. I think, you know, just, just taking the same approach that it seems you've been taking for a long time with just advocating for a more holistic approach Two things, making sure that people are, are monitoring their sleep, making sure they're monitoring their inflammation, making sure they're doing what they can to eat in a way that's conducive to building a strong immune system, keeping the gut healthy, keeping the mind healthy, I think is all we can really do. Combining that with yeah. other you know, stress, stress relieving activities such as exercise, meditation, mindfulness, that sort of thing. So I guess I, I want to dive into the book, uh, Intuitive Fasting, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I like, I like any book. It's, it keeps it easier, I think, for people to understand when they're talking about something like this, where you give the science on something and then you kind of curate a plan for people to follow. So that way, you know, people aren't just left to Google after the book, like, how do I get started or what do I yeah. do? And I want to go into all of that, but I do think that the word intuitive can be very, I don't want to say misleading, but I'm sure it can be controversial at times because, you know, I think some people might say, well, intuitive, does that, does that mean just eat what you want? Does that mean just not eat if you don't feel like it? And how can that trigger uh, certain behaviors. So, you know, you and I were talking before we recorded about some of the pushback I think you've gotten on it. And I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to kind of set the record straight on your, your intention with the book, your meaning for intuitive and why, and like how people can use being intuitive with their eating to their advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I saw someone say on social media, it was, I was someone who knows, I mean, it just was on my feed, I was tagged in it or something like this. And they said, well, you know, if I actually read intuitive fasting and the, because of all the buzz around the book and I, I was expecting some radical, like ex extreme book that like everyone, why every, these people, certain sect of people that were offended by the title of the book that they had, hadn't actually even read the book. This person read it and they said, oh, it's it's such a measured approach that science backed. I mean, we're talking about very practical things people can do. And they're like, I think it's just what the way they worded it was. I think that his PR company were really brilliant at titling the book Intuitive Fasting. And it was some it got people talking. It's smart PR move. And I just laughed. I'm like me. I, I titled the book Intuitive Fasting and it wasn't some PR move. It's literally just an outpouring of my clinical experience. It wasn't some calculated thing. It's the ethos of the book. And it's a concept that I think is really, really important. And maybe that's why it got people talking because no one's ever talked about it like this before. Because it's if you read my past books, if you read Ketotarian, if you read of Inflammation Spectrum, you'll know this concept of intuition and finding out what your body loves and hates and having that discernment that's in all the books that I've written since 2018. And in articles prior to that, for the past decade, I talk about this. This is not some calculated thing. This is the core of my message to my patients. And when I'm educating people that aren't my patients, it's my core message for them too, to have agency over your health and have this intuitive grace and lightness when it comes to health and wellness, nothing new. So the book, I actually, when I wrote it, I was actually thinking, wow, this is book, it's going to be such a... Uh, a different perspective around intermittent fasting because it is so measured and it is so intuitive. It is so mindful that it's not this strict restrictive thing. I thought, okay, this is going to be a paradigm shift in a, in a way that's only good 
because that's the way it was written was only good. It was only loving people and only wanting people to feel great and only wanting people to overcome their health issues and, and to equip them with these amazing tools within what I do in functional medicine. And for it to be so misunderstood and spun by a group of people that had never read the book was just a very weird thing for me. I, I obviously when Gwyneth Paltrow, who's a lovely human being who wrote the foreword of the book, I knew there's probably going to be some initial, whatever people that were be critical of that, just on that value, but for them to actually come against the book too, in such a way, and it wasn't everybody, anybody that actually read the book, they actually really loved the book, but it, it's this tribal toxic cancel culture ish thing. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, they are, every group has it. It's not like a one thing, but you can get any sect of any group of opinions, any echo chamber within the vortex of, of the internet you will have this militant faction within it that is so offended and addicted to being offended and triggered on every topic. So that's what happened. They saw the title intuitive fasting. They thought it was about intuitive eating the movement, which was a book, capital I, capital E, intuitive eating the book it was written in the nineties. And it was for I mean, it's used by some people with eating disorders to heal their relationship with food. That is completely fine. So if that works for you and that's great for you, that's fantastic. I'm not coming against anybody like that, but there's a, and so I would say to them is that there is a small sect of people that, that need that program and they do have eating disorders and they need to work with their eating disorder specialist. They need to work with their doctor on that because they have a disordered eating. That's not what intuitive fasting is about. And if anyone's, I mean, for people to say that, I mean, the critique was you are advocating for disordered eating and how mm. could fasting ever be intuitive? And if you read the book, you will know that I talk about at length about all of this stuff. So all the critiques that people were giving it without actually reading the book, if they actually read the book or listened to the audio book, they would know that I talk about all the things that they were judging. And I, and I explained that this isn't for people with disordered eating, but it's for everybody else that also has an intuition and they do not have a monopoly on human intuition. And so I would really advocate people that have hormonal imbalances, have metabolic issues, have chronic inflammation. And we're talking about the majority, sadly, the majority of the human race, which we just touched upon the top of the conversation. The majority of the human race has a serious blood sugar problem. There's somewhere on the, on this insulin resistance spectrum from mild things like weight loss, resistance, hangriness, insatiable cravings to things like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, to other metabolic hormonal problems, to prediabetes, to type 2 diabetes, all of that stuff is on this insulin resistant inflammation spectrum. That's the conversation that I'm having in the book, because all of those things, all of those metabolic issues will disguise themselves as your intuition. So is it right. hormone imbalance or is it intuition? Like you said, is it like these insatiable cravings or is it intuition? I mean, this stuff is not true intuition, authentic intuition or mindful eating. So what we're trying to do in the conversation that I'm having in the book is when we create some semblance of metabolic flexibility, we start to calm that inflammation. We get to get proper satiety signals. We get proper blood sugar balance. We're building the physiological infrastructure to have awareness of our body and have more agency over I eat when I'm hungry. I can go longer without eating, not because it's some restrictive obsessive thing, but because 
we are more balanced. We're more mindful about our bodies and we're healthier. So that's the conversation about intuitive fasting. Fasting will be intuitive when you have metabolic flexibility. Fasting will not be intuitive whenever you're metabolically inflexible and hangry. Right. So that's the that's really the conversation. It's not a radical thing. Every other health practitioner under the sun knows the same thing. When someone's metabolically flexible, they can go longer without eating and fasting will be a natural byproduct of that. And we can use fasting, flexible intermittent fasting in both medicinally and as meditation. So we're using fasting as meditation because we're we're becoming more mindful of how foods make us feel. We're ch checking in with our body and using it as a meditation when we're not eating and, and renegotiating or recalibrating our relationship with our body and food to become more conscious around food and fasting. But we're using fasting as medicine as well, because fasting is that we can get into the science today. It's an amazing tool to lower inflammation, to do with amazing things for your health. So that's really, it's this functional yeah. medicine conversation around fasting. Yeah. And I, you know, and in the book, it's not like you're advocating just stop eating and fast like for 24 <laughs> hours, you kind of give this great approach to build slowly each week off of it. And you talk about why you're doing it each week and you get into the different approaches with carbs and carb cycling and why that's important. And you talk, of course, about a lot about metabolic flexibility and inflexibility when you're metabolically inflexible can lead to things like blood sugar levels, hormone imbalances. Obviously, I think it'll clearly lead to lack of sleep, stress, like all these issues that are mm -hmm. at the forefront of our society right now. And we, there's clearly a problem and we've come up with all these plans, all these so-called solutions, yet the epidemic gets worse and worse yeah. and worse each year. I mean, before COVID, you know, obviously there was an opioid epidemic and there still is. There's also an obesity epidemic here in the United States yeah. Yeah. that has continued to get worse. And I'm sure even post pandemic, it's even worse because people are stress eating, people are bored, they're eating out of loneliness and so many other reasons. But before we we kind of get into to that part, I also wanted to say that this was kind of like, I didn't, I mean, I guess I didn't expect you to write the book, but it didn't surprise me because our last conversation, we talked about the mind body gut connection and how important mm -hmm. that is. And I know your passion for holistic health and fasting. So I was like, you know, I just think this would be a, a great add on anyway, to what you're already teaching. Yeah. So it's not like you just jumped on a bandwagon, which I'm sure mm -hmm. there's, I mean, a lot of people do that, right? We see it all the time. Something gets hot, somebody jumps yeah. in it and says, let me make some money. But you were taught a lot of the stuff it was, you were just building on your last two books. Yeah. It seemed like a lot of the same stuff you were already talking about. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I've fasting. I've used fasting personally since the nineties. Since I was yeah. a teenager, I've done intermittent fasting, but I've used it clinically my entire career over the past 11, 12 years. And then you're right. Any article I've written, any uh, book, I, every book I've written, I've talked about intermittent fasting. So this is not a new conversation. I just thought it was the right time to have a bigger conversation because like you said, fasting is having its zeitgeist moment right now. So of course, I want to have a conversation about something in a deeper way of something that I have had conversations with in, in previous books in passing. And I have had it with my patients in deep, deep dive detail for the past decade, of course, because it's a good thing. More people are paying attention to this amazing tool 
So let's educate people from a functional medicine perspective, what this looks like and how to do it in a safe, healthy, sustainable, flexible way that does work for people. Because I do agree, you can have an amazing tool and it not be used properly. You can have an amazing tool and it be abused unintentionally or unintentionally. That's not what I want. This should not be an eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice. This should not be conflated as chronic caloric restriction and some sort of diet, hashtag diet culture. It's not what that is about at all. This is about loving your body enough to actually improve your labs, improve your biomarkers. That's my main focus. Uh, and if something does that in a practical, measured, sustainable way, let's do it. But let's have yeah. a conversation around it so we can do it in the proper way. Yeah. And I think just like anything else, you know, if you read it and this approach isn't for you, then it's not for you. You know, yeah. there's clearly tons of benefits from a metabolic level, from a physicality level, from a mental health level, from an emotional level. And we talk about hormesis and, and challenging your body and, and what it can do to kind of, you know, help with your digestion and help with your gut and help you with your, I mean, I think it helps with your mood if I remember correctly too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's summarized so eloquently. Paracelsus said he was one of the fathers of modern medicine. He was known, he's known as father of toxicology and medicine, but mm. he was known as the Martin Luther of medicine in the late 1400s, early 1500s in Switzerland. He called fasting the physician within, which I think is a quite eloquent way to put it because he didn't have randomized control trials in Switzerland in the 1500s, but now science is substantiating the pathways, they're understanding yeah. the mechanisms that really is this inner doctor that enables us to really heal in a profound way. So the, the it's shifting the body, like you said, into the state of hormesis. And that has a whole other historical roots from that. There was a king, I talk about it in the book, but there's a king in the Black Sea region uh, a long time ago, I don't know the exact date, but his name is Mithridates. He thought his mom was trying to kill him, his murderous mother. Whether it was true or not, that's the origins of the of the concept. The dose makes the poison is the other way of saying hormesis. But it is this, this king took the the poison, small amounts of it, to build up resilience. So if one day he was to be poisoned, he would not die. And he was poisoned one day. And he did not die. He lived. He survived. He kind of built up that inner resilience. So this concept then ha over the millennia has been studied and the dose makes the poison. Many, many researchers discussed, about, discussed this and what's known today in medicine and science, a hormetic effect or hormesis, that's what intermittent fasting allows us to tap into. It's just good stress that makes our body more resilient. It supports things like autophagy, which is the cellular recycling, sort of our body's anti-accelerated aging pathways and shifts our body into a state of ketosis, which is known as a fourth macronutrient in the studies. It, it's, it's, we have protein, fats, carbs, and ketone bodies. Again, these are things that I talked about for a long, long time. And beta-hydroxybutyrate, this ketone molecule, uh, ketone fuel, the ketone body is not just a way to burn fat, which it will help people that have to burn fat, but there's many people that don't have to lose weight that are tapping into the amazing health benefits of fasting because of this. It's not beta hydroxybutyrate is an epigenetic modulator. It's a signaling molecule to do really powerful things in our body, this physician within. So it passes through the blood brain barrier. It helps to lower brain inflammation. So people that have anxiety and depression, brain fog, fatigue studies are really exploring 
the neuroprotective, uh, the neuromodulating effect on neuroinflammation. It improves something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, actually making new neurons and supporting something called neuroplasticity, the body's ability to actually regenerate, the brain's ability to regenerate and become stronger and more resilient. It improves something called mitochondrial biogenesis, actually making stronger, more resilient mitochondria, which we, so many people with chronic health problems have disordered mitochondria dysfunction. And actually we can tap into this regenerative effect on mitochondria in a state of fasting and it lowers systemic infl inflammation. It lowers things like NF-kappa B, the NLRP3 inflammasome, the COX-2 pathway, these are high in most people in the United States. So people that have autoimmune conditions, people that have digestive problems, people that have depression, anxiety, people that have fatigue issues, people that have type 2 diabetes, heart disease, we can help to lower this naturally. This is an endogenous natural anti-inflammatory we can tap into, and it upregulates pro-antioxidant, pro-longevity benefits like the NRF2 pathway, the AMPK pathway, and there's a pathway called mTOR, the mammalian or mechanistic target of rapamycin. It helps to really support these anti-disease longevity pathways as well, because fasting helps to lower that mTOR pathway or balance it out. So there's that's just what the top of my head. There's so many exciting studies around fasting. This is not about disordered eating. This is an right. amazing tool to use in a, an intuitive, mindful way to improve how you feel. This is about integrating feeling great in your life, not some restrictive thing. Yeah. I want to echo what you just said. This is a tool. It's not a cure. And I think yeah. all, all of this, anything, whether it's fasting, whether it's drinking a smoothie, whether it's supplements, whether it's you know, food. I mean, all this is, they're just different tools that you should have Absolutely. in your tool belt to help yeah. you live a more whole and fulfilled life. Yes. You know, fasting, you know, can certainly have its benefits. Obviously we all know eating whole foods has massive benefits, yeah. meditation, sleep, some supplementation where, where it works, but not one single thing is going to cure you. It's an all encompassing approach. And again, yeah. part of intuition and trusting your gut is listening to your body and mm -hmm. doing what works for you. So, yeah. you know, maybe if you read any book, whether it's Dr. Will Cole's book or whether it's, you know, anyone, and maybe everything doesn't align with you. Maybe if you can just take one thing, two things, three right. things, I mean, then you're using that to improve your life. And if you can just keep doing that along the way, you'll have this Rolodex of information and tools to implement into your life where you see fit. And you can make massive improvements that way. Because I think so many people, they're looking for just an easy way out. And they're looking at times to just have this quick fix because we live in a society that's based on off of instant gratification, that they want that book to fix their health, to fix their mindset, to fix their life. Mm -hmm. And people are really struggling right now. I mean, gosh, mental health issues are clearly on the rise. Obesity is up as we were talking about a few minutes ago. Suicide rates are up, addictions up, and people are like, I am hurting. How can I fix this? Mm -hmm. And the, the unfortunate thing is that there's nothing quick that's going to fix it. The fortunate thing is that you can just with you know, hard work, believing in yourself, trusting yourself enough to know that you'll be able to find certain tools and people along the way to help guide you to that place. It's not going to be easy and it's, but it's definitely going to be worth it. So 
you, you unpacked a lot there when it came to the, the benefits of fasting. We talked about how it can help you on a, on a cellular level. We talked about stress and hormesis. You talked about mental health. We talked about resilience. You talked about autophagy. So if I was your patient and you were trying to convince me, which I'm sure you had to back in the day to start, you know, fasting in any capacity, what would be the two, three most important benefits or selling points, if you will, to help try to not convince, but maybe help get somebody to walk a little bit closer to jumping on the fasting bandwagon? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think that the, the main thing that I can think of is that I would, I would say be the low-hanging fruits, if you will, that most people can benefit from and mm-hmm. should consider intermittent fasting is the, the anti-inflammatory benefits because that's the majority of the human race. So the fact mm-hmm. that we can lower inflammation naturally and it's completely free is one way to do that. Improving brain function would be the next one because that when you look at the statistics around anxiety, depression, and fatigue and brain fog, that's a lot of people. So the brain improving benefits, the BDNF, the mitochondria, and the neuroinflammation standpoint. And then third, I would say from a gut health standpoint, which I didn't mention yet, that is uh, definitely something, this is a real major uh, epidemic of digestive problems that exist on that inflammation spectrum too. So people with IBS, inflammatory GI issues, people just bloating, that's another way to reset what's known in the research as the circadian rhythm of microbiome. So you have the, all these trillions of bacteria in the gut collectively known as the microbiome depending on the study that you look at, it's about a hundred trillion bacteria and we have have about 10 trillion human cells. So we're about 10 times more bacteria than human, sort of the sophisticated host for the microbiome. Well, certain colonies of bacteria are higher in the morning. Certain colonies of bacteria are higher in the evening. We have this sort of wave-like, ocean-like rhythm of the microbiome, this gut garden where the colonies are always ebbing and flowing. Well, a lot of people have dysbiosis, and I see this on labs all the time. I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's pretty astounding the amount of digestive problems that, that we face as a world today. A lot of people have bacterial overgrowth, yeast and fungal overgrowth, people with things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which can drive things like IBS and acid reflux and indigestion and bloating and a lot of things like that. So uh, fasting has been shown to actually reset that microbiome circadian rhythm. So I would say that energy, brain function, lowered inflammation and gut health. Those are the main things that I want people to get excited about the science around intermittent fasting. 
And then I guess to piggyback off of that, have you, of course, I'm sure you have like rerun the labs after them fasting for a period of time and gotten the results and, mm-hmm. and seen some drastic improvements with, with the measures that you were talking about a minute ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I get to, get to see as a clinician on an hourly basis. So this is not something that's like this abstract pontification yeah. where I'm on my high horse and yeah. I'm just like looking at studies and then judging yeah. people and pointing their fingers. No, it's something that's so cool. It's so That's what I mean. It's so positive. Mm. It's so positive. People getting healthy. It's positive. It's positive. It's positive. It's a good thing. But look, there's a lot of variables with me as a clinician. My people are doing lots of amazing things for their health, not just intermittent fasting. So that's where I look at the confluence of amazing things, which is what I talk about in intuitive fasting as well. We're not fasting our way out of a poor diet. We are using this as one tool, like we said, within a toolbox of many amazing things that should be used into context. So it's a sustainable, healthy relationship with this stuff. But studies had to be done to show, does the fasting stand on its own? If you don't change your diet, if you don't change how many calories you're having, are you going to see changes from intermittent fasting? And in the research world, that has to be done to see if it's what's actually the benefit here. What's the mechanism at play here? So when you control for calories, you control, like keep the foods the same. There have been many studies to show that time-restricted feeding or eating in specific windows throughout the day, you're not restricting your calories. You're eating the same amount of calories. You're just doing it in very specific windows to get the benefits. So we know from studies that Things like different types of intermittent fasting stand on its own without changing much about how you live your life, but that's for research. I want to know, okay, that's cool. That's an amazing tool. We know the science of it, but let's apply it in real life. And that's my job as a clinician. I'm not a researcher. So I can actually bring this tool in and that tool in and that tool in and that tool in all these amazing tools within health and wellness and functional medicine to improve your health exponentially. Because like you said, it's not a cure-all, it's a tool. It's an amazing tool, but it's not the only tool within the toolbox of what I do. Yeah. And I think once you get the science behind it and you can show the results, I think people get more behind something like that versus like you said, somebody just relaying like different scientific literature and studies. You can come at it from a clinical approach and say, Hey, like, listen, like I had X, Y, and Z patients try this approach and here's the X, Y, and Z results. And I also want to kind of hit on a point that I've heard you make a lot in that, you know, the word fasting, I think can be scary for a lot of people. They hear the word fasting and they think, they think something negative. They think, oh, calorie restriction, or I can't eat. And I've heard you separate the two, like fasting isn't calorie restriction. Fasting is fasting. So if you could just touch on the difference between the two and help people see fasting more, I guess is, I mean, you talked about it being positive and I, and my experience has definitely been positive and for for the people that I know personally who have have done it, they've seen a lot of positive results, but if you could just, you know, separate those two words and why they're not the same so that maybe people could see the word fasting is something more positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's many different types of fasting, right? I mean, there's long multiple day fasts. There's, There's definitely different types of fasts that are temporary not forever, but caloric restriction and complete cessation of you not having any calories for a long multiple-day fast. That's not what I'm talking about intuitive fasting. I'm talking about a specific subset of intermittent fasting within the research known as time-restricted feeding or TRF. So we have these acronyms TRF and IF where intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding. That's what I'm really discussing uh, within intuitive fasting, which the studies are very clear 
it's not about caloric restriction. You're just eating in specific windows. So it's a very accessible, approachable, non-restrictive, uh, non-punitive way for everyday people to tap into the benefits of the fa fasting. And that's what I'm exploring with. It's, there is a time and place for multiple day fast. There's amazing science around that too. And people should work with a specialist or a doctor that's trained in that, that are doing longer water fasts and different longer fasts like this. That's not what I'm talking about with intuitive fasting. So you are not restricting calories with the type of fasting that I'm talking about in intuitive fasting. You're just eating at specific windows. So every week I built a four week protocol in the book and people can cycle through those four weeks as many times as they need to, to start to lean into these amazing benefits that I talked about when it comes to your health. And you're gonna to start to gain metabolic flexibility. Each week is different. And as you gain metabolic flexibility, it's like that analogy that I use is this proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. At the beginning, my hamstrings are tight. I'm not that good at yoga. I show up to yoga and I suck at it, right? I could judge yoga and say, yoga's not for me or like, and it's this yoga's fault. No, actually, I'm not good at it. My hamstrings are tight. I'm inflexible. Most people are metabolically inflexible. So they why, why is that? Is that because of processed foods? Is it because of lack of activity? Is it because of lack of sleep or all the above? Or what's the main all, cause? All of the above. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, to summarize what the researchers refer to it as an epigenetic genetic mismatch, this evolutionary mismatch between our genome, which hasn't changed in 10,000 plus years and the world around us, which has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. So it's all the things you mentioned. It's all the lifestyle stuff that is triggering these genetic predispositions like autoimmune conditions and metabolic issues and mental health issues, all this stuff creates inflammation levels and, and problems with people's chronic, chronic health problems. So all of those things that which will mask themselves as your intuition, you're going to go towards foods, these insatiable cravings and hangriness, you're going to go towards things that make you feel horrible. That's not your intuition talking, that's a metabolic problem. So you want to actually calm that noise, you can actually hear your intuition, but you have to have metabolic flexibility to get that. So just like that yoga practice, yoga is not going to be natural at all, whenever you start it. But as you get into the practice, anyone that does yoga will tell you it becomes a practice and it becomes very intuitive and you will evolve your yoga practice because you've grown in awareness. So you've actually used the movement of yoga, which part of that is mindfulness and meditation around it. That's exactly how we're using intermittent fasting as food is it's almost this yogic thing to become more mindful around the, uh, about your body and how your relationship with food and yourself. So that's what we're really working on because when you gain metabolic flexibility, you're going to really have a rootedness in your body and have proper signaling pathways uh, on a physiological level to, to know what your body loves and what it doesn't. Yeah. And before we get into the, the four week plan and, and I guess why you chose this approach, I mean, first of all, I, I like how you kind of included a lot of the different fasting approaches into one. Like, I mean, a lot of it is either, mm -hmm. okay, you can fast for 20 hours, you can fast for 14 hours, 16 hours, you can do one meal a day and that's just different silos and you can try each one of them and see which works for you. But in your approach, it seems you've combined many of them into the four week program, which I thought was interesting. But before we do that, you've mentioned that people eat sometimes, you know, just when they're not even really hungry. So what are mm. some like boxes people could maybe check 
to make sure that they're not just stressed. They're not eating out of stress. They're not eating because they're hangry or they're not eating because mm-hmm. their, their hormones are imbalanced, like whatever. Like, is there certain things people can do so they can know that if they're actually truly hungry, they can just say, oh, well, I've, I've drank my water today. I got my sleep and I've done this and that. I mean, just to maybe help give some people some guidelines. Sure. Yeah. I think looking at stress and sleep is definitely important. And that's the mindfulness practice that I cultivate throughout the whole protocol in the book. You know, it's not just about fasting or food. Mm. I have what are called metaphysical meals in the book where these are just spaces, acts of stillness in, in throughout the protocol that I want people to grow in that awareness about their body. So it's not going to be easy at first. I mean, I put mm. the quiz in the book that's a metabolic flexibility quiz. And I have it, we have it at drwillcool.com too, for people that don't have the book to just, these are questions that I ask patients just from a clinical standpoint, where is your metabolic flexibility? So people looking at hangriness, looking at cravings, looking at stress, looking at weight loss resistance, looking at sleep, all those things are checkpoints. And I want people to get, check in with themselves, check in with their body and how they're feeling. And then over the, take the quiz at the beginning do the protocol. As you're going in the protocol, we're constantly checking in with our body and adjusting the protocol intuitively to work with your body. Cause that's the heart of functional medicine. It's bio individuality. We're all different. Mm. So some people need more of something. Some people need less of some things. That's okay. But you're only going to know that when you start checking in with your body and adjusting it. So we're not just doing the fasting and the food stuff, which is very physiological physiologically therapeutic in improving your health and improving metabolic flexibility, but the mind, mental, emotional, and spiritual component of it is just as important in many ways. So I want people to actually learn about their body to know how these things are making them feel, how, as they grow their mindfulness muscle and become more mindfully metabolically flexible, that's going to be an amazing tool as well, because you will have improved the physical stuff and you also will have improved your mental, emotional, and spiritual resilience as well. And that is, these are the core ingredients for intuitive living, mindful eating, intuitive fasting. So it's all that stuff, but they have to constantly grow that awareness with their body. Because most people are so divorced with how foods make them feel. They're so divorced on how, what they truly need at any given moment, because they're just so in the reactive mind and they're so born out of habit and they're so filled with stress and anxiety and they're busy that they're not checking in with themselves. So that's what I'm trying to cultivate that awareness throughout the four weeks. I love that. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Chatterjee, are you? Yeah. Rangan Chatterjee. Yeah. Yeah. I know Rangan. Yes. yes, Yeah. yeah. So he, he, he's got this, he's got this book called feel great, lose weight. And he talks a lot about why we eat and getting clear on like how you feel, like why you're actually eating, which Mm -hmm. you just really echoes I go in the same context of what you just said is like really getting clear on why you're eating the food you're eating so that you you can figure out like, are you stressed? Are you you not sleep? Well, like really understanding from a mindfulness perspective, Mm -hmm. like, like why you're making some of the food choices you are. And you're right. It's, it's not as simple as just saying here, follow this food plan. And just like everybody else, it's so individualistic. And you got to do what works for you, which is, I think, what you are trying to get at with the whole intuitive approach is like, listen to your body. You got to do yeah. what works for you. You can't just, you know, go after what someone else is doing, like follow this protocol, try what works best for you, and then kind of adjust as you go. So, you know, with all that said, I, I do want to dive into to your plan and why you chose it. And But I first wanted to ask, like, so what's what's the difference between intermittent fasting 
and intuitive fasting in case people are saying, oh, maybe this sounds a little bit like intermittent fasting, but I know there's some differences there a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, in- intuitive fasting is just my made up term for a mindful approach to intermittent fasting. So it is intermittent fasting, but it's the intention behind it. And it's, it's this paradoxical concept that on the front end, it will be a paradoxical. I mean, when you are metabolically inflexible, fasting will not be intuitive, but when we get metabolic flexibility, fasting will be intuitive. So it's really the, an outpouring of metabolic flexibility intuitive fasting is. So that's really what it is. We're using a mindful, flexible approach to intermittent fasting. That's what intuitive fasting, the concept that I talked about in the book and the title of the book is all about. So the four weeks are the week one and think of throughout this whole time, think about that yoga analogy that I talked about. It's like that week one is this beginner yoga class where people are metabolically inflexible. They're hangry. They have insatiable cravings. They have weight loss, resistance, fatigue. I mean, whatever they're trying to deal with chronic inflammation and it's a 12, 12 eating window. So it's you 24 hours in a day and you have 12 hours of eating, 12 hours of fasting. So it could be 7am to 7pm, 8am to 8pm. Let it be flexible. Let it work with your schedule. And you're fasting through the night until you break the fast at breakfast the next morning. So the really goal of this, and look, in the fasting world, which I've been a part of for a long time, it's like, that's not the sexiest form of fasting. Many uh, the true diehard fasting lovers are going to be like, what the heck? 12, 12. It's like, so not cool. But the reality is it is cool. It's actually, there's a lot of exciting science around it. And more isn't always better. Sometimes people just need to do the simple stuff to get a good, good firm foundation so this is sustainable and not some health fad. So you're just not eating too late. You're allowing a couple of hours to happen after you've finished dinner. And, to, and you're allowing the nighttime to really be your fast time. And that's interestingly, like when we talked about some of the funny criticisms that people were saying on social media is like, the only fast you should do is when you're sleeping at night. If they would have read the book, like a lot of what they're saying is actually what I'm talking about in the book, because it's this intuitive approach, but we're using food as a way to uh, mimic fasting. And that's what ketotarian is. It's a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate approach. It's supporting beta hydroxybutyrate, you're getting in ketosis, all these amazing benefits that I talked about earlier, you actually are mimicking a lot of the same benefits with a ketotarian approach, which is the name of my first book. Again, this conversation that I'm just having in a deeper way. Now with this book, that by using this clean ketogenic approach, that's cyclical, you're not always in ketosis, we're using clean carbohydrates throughout the whole book but we're doing it in very specific ways. These are all tools within our toolbox. So you're fasting through the night in week one, and then you're breaking the fast in the morning. And week two, it's a 14 to 18 hour window. I want to, I want to, pa- I want to, can I pause really sure. quick? Cause I want to, I want to make it an important point. I think Yeah. If you think about it. I mean, at least for me as a trainer, a lot of what they, people say to me is if I could only cut out snacking after dinner, I would lose weight. Right. Yeah. If I could only stop drinking at night, then I wouldn't be eating these unhealthy foods. So, you know, it's funny that people, people want that result. They want to not do that. But I think when people hear what they have to do, and maybe it's a bit different and it's a bit challenging, sometimes it can be a little bit scary. So I just want to encourage people to, to just try it. You know, if your goal is to feel better, is to stop the, the mindless and, and stress uh, and eating when you're stressed at night or after you've been drinking heavily, like this is a great approach to try. Yeah. And then when you do feel stressed or you do feel uncomfortable, just know that it's normal. I mean, you talk about that in the book and just say, okay, how can I look within? What can I do instead 
Maybe I go for a walk. Maybe I meditate. Maybe I watch a funny movie. Maybe I journal, whatever it is. And then you get through that night and you're like, okay, like that was hard. Got through it. But you feel confident because maybe that was something you have been trying to do for two years that you finally just did. And then you can start Mm -hmm. to stack these wins. So I just wanted to interject there really quick, just because as a trainer, I hear that a lot. And all what you're asking people to do isn't very unrealistic, I would say. But I would say that like when you talk about the fasting, I guess, zealots, if you will, that are like, you know, that's, you're not fasting. It's not long enough. Like I would say most people in in our country, probably their eating window is from like 6am when they eat breakfast or that cereal till like 11 o'clock at night when they're done snacking. And they're only going without food for six, seven, eight hours. Most people. So go ahead. Sorry. Again, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just thought that was an important point to to kind of piggyback onto what you said. Absolutely. And we're not fasting away out of a poor diet. So yes, it's just a 12 hour. It is 12 hours, which is really, again, a lot of exciting science around just that simple move. But then we're also supporting that fast with the fasting mimicking way of eating too. Week two, we're digging a little bit deeper. It's the first week is the meta, the body reset fast. Week two is the metabolic recharge fast. So we go to reset, recharge, renew, and rebalance. That's the four weeks. Each week is a new one. So metabolic recharge is a lot of the science around metabolic, cardiometabolic and biomarkers like lowering insulin resistance, lowering inflammation levels. A lot of the cool stuff is around that 14 to 18 hour time restricted feeding window. So I've put a lot of the science within the journals in that chapter because that's a lot of people and the 16H or the 18.6, there's a lot of really cool science around that. So that's what we're doing in week two with the ketotarian way of eating. So again, we're supporting that fast or mimicking fasting when we're actually eating our food. So it's actually quite more therapeutic. And then in week three, it's a almost OMAD week, It's which is every other day. So again, it's that for using that a, a yoga analogy, week three is that we're deep into those more advanced yoga poses, maybe like a warrior two, which isn't that advanced, but it's like whatever, it's, you're new to yoga, so maybe it's advanced. So you're doing the, the this yoga pose, but you're not there for long. You're going in and out of it. You're gaining metabolic flexibility, but you're also using this as a mindfulness tool as well to learn about your body and we're using all these mindfulness practices through this time. OMAD is an acronym that stands for one meal a day. So I said almost OMAD in the book because it's more flexible than that. You can actually get two meals or one and a half meal plus snack in within a two to four hour window. So it's a 20 to 22 hour fast every other day. So you go to almost OMAD day, then back to a 12-12 almost OMAD day back to a 12-12 non-consecutive alternating fasting and refeeding days. And then week, and then let me just say that the reason why I call week three cellular renewal fast is because we're really supporting those longevity benefits, the autophagy benefits, the anti-aging, the anti-disease pathways, the longevity pathways. And then week four, we're back to 12-12. We're loosening back up. That so was interesting. That was interesting. I found that I was like, wait, what, why, where's the like full day fast? I mean, I was, but I think the way <laughs> yeah. you explained it was, it made a lot of sense after you explained it. Totally. So people got to it and it's like, whoa, why is he going back to 12, 12? And we're increasing clean carbohydrates. Well, it's vacillating, ebbing and flowing, eating and fasting windows. So the average person, that's all that they really need to really get amazing benefits for their metabolic flexibility. They don't have to be extreme. They don't have to be super restrictive to see amazing changes. That's what I'm talking about. So to use that yoga analogy in week four, it's that Savasana at the end of yoga class where you're just like, wow, dang, I did that over the past three weeks. I can chill out. And then you can cycle back in if you want. So that's that practice that I want people to cultivate. 
And when you grow in awareness around food and fasting, you will maybe after two or three cycles of the four week protocol in the book, you'll adjust the protocol intuitively. You'll be able to say, I'm going to, I felt better doing more of this. I, I didn't want to, do, I, I need to do less of that this time. And that's what the awareness that I'm talking about, you will evolve into your own protocol, your own practice, as you get the hang of this and as you improve metabolic flexibility. I think developing self-awareness is, is everything in life. I think yeah. just knowing where you stand with things, how you feel when you do certain activities, how you're functioning that day is everything. So that, I mean, cause I always say in order to know where you're going, you have to find out where you're at. And mm -hmm. what I like about this approach is it seems like there's a lot of, like you said, self-awareness built into this and it's not as simple as just, okay, one week you're going to do a 12 hour fast and the next week, 14, 16, 18. It's like not this rigid buildup. It's very mm -hmm. flexible because I think for the majority of people, life happens and it's realistic to say that they're not going to fast for the same time amount of time every single day. There's going to be times yeah. where they want to have breakfast with their kids on the weekends. That's the number one thing you think, if you think about like with fasting, I think one of the biggest questions people have asked me, I mean, I don't have a family, so obviously it's a lot easier for me is like, well, what do I do? Like on Saturdays and Sundays, I want to like make pancakes or have breakfast with my kids. Like, what do I do? And it seems like you've built that part into the book as well. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you'll be able to adjust it accordingly. And throughout the whole book, all four weeks, even though I gave that protocol, like people may, again, another critique that you could say is, well, he's calling the book intuitive fasting. Why is he giving us a protocol? Well, it's like that yoga practice. If you're metabolically inflexible, you're not going to be able to know what your body loves. You're going to have a lot of different signaling problems. So we're actually using this as a template mm. to actually hear that intuition. And then later on, you will be able to evolve it. So that's the art of it all. It does not have to be set in stone. And you may think, well, maybe tomorrow I'm going to do a 16-hour intermittent fasting. But you may wake up in the morning and say, nope, I'm going to do a 12-12. And that's totally fine. Or like you said, on the weekends, you find that rhythm and that grace and that lightness that works for you and your lifestyle and your preference. On the weekends, I do that all the time. I'll do, I'll have that, those pancakes and the breakfast stuff with my kids and do it 12, 12, just naturally. I'm not even thinking about it. It's not some arduous thing. It's just so intuitive for me and so intuitive to my patients that are aware of this way of living. And then on the week, Monday morning, you're at work, you do 18 hour fast. I want people to experiment with all these things, learn about their body, gain metabolic flexibility so they can do all of this intuitively, both eating and fasting. Yeah. And I don't think when I understand the word intuitive and how it relates to your book, as I, as I listened to it, you know, I didn't personally didn't think, well, it's just going to mean it's going to explain to me how I can just eat what I want. You know, I just knew, and I just, but I knew you because we've, we've had, yeah, you knew we've had we, we talked about, we've, yeah. we've talked about it before in the mind body connection and just the whole trusting your gut and your intuition and how important that can be with, with hunger and in life really. And the, the thing is, is like, yes, there's a plan but it's flexible for a reason because I, I think it's meant to help you cast your own judgment based on your intuition and how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. just like with any plan, if it's too hard, it's too challenging and you, you really can't get through it, then there's, there's obviously ways to dial anything back. And that's where being intuitive comes into play because you're trusting your gut. You're listening to your body. I will say from a, a mental health and confidence perspective for me, I mean, I've been fasting, off and on, but I mean, more consistently over the last few years, but I started initially intermittent fasting. I don't remember the exact time frame, but I mean, at least five to, I mean, I've been a trainer almost 10 years. So I would say maybe five to seven years ago, I don't remember the exact time frame. time flies. 
And mm-hmm. I remember one of the hardest obstacles I had to overcome was like, am I going to be able to make it? Am I going to be able to make it without a meal? Like, am I going to be a jerk to my morning clients? And once I realized that it wasn't that hard, I mean, it was challenging, but once you get through a few days, you're like, eh, it wasn't as bad as you thought. Cause sometimes we, the buildup of our, and our fear of what the outcome is yeah. actually going to be is much greater yeah. than the event or fear Reality in itself. But then once yeah. you get through it, it builds confidence in other areas of your life. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that I fasted for 12 hours. Now I'm going yeah. to, you know, go and try that mile run that I hadn't tried, or I'm going to go ask this person out, or I'm going to write a book or whatever it is, because you built confidence in an area of your life that you didn't. And one of the more recent yeah. things for me is I, I started doing like cold water training during COVID. And I remember when I first got in the cold tub, I lasted like five seconds. I got out of the cold so fast screaming. I was, I was so embarrassed in front of some of my friends. And I was like, man. And then I remember getting back in and I lasted like a minute. And then I got back in, I lasted two. And I think I worked my way up until being able to sit in there for about five minutes or so. That's and fun. yeah, but the, the important thing that came from that wasn't the time in the cold water. It was the confidence in life. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, yeah. like a month ago or two weeks ago, whatever it was, I could barely last five seconds in the, yeah. in the cold. Now it's five minutes. What other areas of my life can I apply this to? And that's what I think people right. can really, should really take from this too, is the, the only way or one of the only ways I think to build confidence is to do hard things that scare you and prove to yourself that you can make it through challenging times. And amidst everything that's going on right now and that will continue to happen in our lives, you know, there's going to be different challenges like doing hard things like fasting or taking a chance on your health and reinventing yourself can help you get through challenging times because you work that adversity muscle and you know Mm -hmm. that, wow, I did these hard things. Now I can do other hard things too. So one of the other things I wanted to follow up on, um, there's a couple of things is I like how you kind of have built this as an up level to a ketotarian and the inflammation spectrum and that you don't just start with fasting and then figure out what you eat. You kind of have to get mm-hmm. what you eat down and then experiment with fasting. Because I think there's a lot of people that have said, oh, it's okay. I'm fasting. I can eat whatever I want. Mm. And that's where I think the problems arise. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it's funny, just to touch on something you just said, um, a cold therapy is another hormesis, another hormetic <laughs> effect. And so sauna therapy, so high-intensity interval training, HIIT training. So all these amazing things that can be challenging at first are all hormesis that actually make you cellularly more resilient. But like you said, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually more resilient too. It's so, so fascinating, the science around it, but also the, the symbolic nature of doing these things. So yeah, it's food is first. These are, this is the next level beyond that. So I wouldn't advocate eating junk food and then fasting. It's just not the way that I would advocate it as a functional medicine practitioner. You should f- use food as nutrition, as therapeutic, you know, medicine, but fasting is, is that as well. And I think there are two sides of it. Amazing. Same coin. Yeah. Cause I think you can run into trouble because people can say, well, I can just eat what I want. Cause I'm fasting. I'm going to burn fat. I'm going to eat less. And that's mm-hmm. not the approach you're trying to get across. No. It's like, no, this is a, an overall wellness approach. You want to make sure you're, you're eating well and then adding fasting as a way to make, to, to make other improvements in other areas of your life. And so I think that's important for people to, to kind of remember that. And the, the one, a last question I want to ask you, and this is something I get asked a lot is I train a lot of females and there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast too. And 
I wanted to know, is there a different approach you take with your female clients when it comes to fasting versus your male clients or patients? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a lot of what I was talking about, these different modifications, these tailorings, these tweakings, adjustments that you can use. So the whole, even throughout the four weeks, even with before people really get significant metabolic flexibility in those early days during the protocol, I make adjustments throughout the whole time because people are going to start feeling better pretty early on. They're going to start learning about their body really early on. They're going to be using food and fasting as a mindfulness practice very early on. So I have people adjust that in real time throughout the four weeks, just born out of my clinical experience of how to use this in very specific ways to to tap into the amazing benefits without thinking more is always better because that's definitely not true as with any hormetic effect as with anything in life it balance is the key and the balance is different from person to person so the we do clean carb cycling and shorter fasts typically for women around their cycle so at the beginning of their period and around ovulation if they are cycling and menstruating that's and everyone's cycle is different so you're going to have to experiment intuitively with your body to see how things that make you feel but look, to, and I have a major conversation in intuitive fasting for people to hear about this. All women are different. So for us to say, well, women can't, they have to do these adjustments on their cycle is not true either. Some women do, especially long-term from a sustainability standpoint, but every woman is different. And the point is to find out what works for your body. But if you want to talk about generalities, yes, there are many women that are cycling do better with a more cyclical fasting approach and a cyclical ketotarian approach. So they're not always in ketosis and they can support progesterone and the thyroid hormone conversion with just doing lighter fasting and more clean carbohydrates around those days. And I put the specific days of the cycle in the book, but not every woman needs to do that. These are all tools within the toolbox. Like we keep saying yeah. <laughs> that I want people to, to, to experiment with. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really glad you t that we touched on that because that's something that I get asked a lot, especially with, you know, the, the women that I, I train or people that I, I've talked to even friends that are like, why am I feeling this way? And I've been fasting. And I'm like, well, I think there's, you might want to tweak certain things because of what happens, you know, during your cycle and things like that. And, and so I've kind of, you know, emphasize making sure that people are doing their own research that works best for the individual. So Dr. Will Cole, this has been an absolute pleasure and I'm encouraging people to go out and get your book, Intuitive Fasting, and listen to your new podcast, The Art of Being Well, right? It just started not yeah. too long ago and yeah, great podcast. Congratulations to you on that. Anywhere else people can find out more information about you? Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And I can't wait to have you on The Art of Being Well. But uh, yeah, everything's at drwillcole.com. Uh, that's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Links to the books, links to the podcast, tons of free content on there, as well as the telehealth clinic. We offer a free webcam or phone health evaluation too. So great. So thank you so much again for coming on the show. And for those listening, this is going to be one just like many others that you're going to want to potentially re-listen you know, two or three times, take a bunch of notes and see where you can apply some of uh, the wisdom and knowledge that, that he shared about health, about fasting, just about really just being intuitive and listening to your mind, gut, body, and how it can help to improve your life. And, and just, and just what I would also advise you to do is to reach out to him and, and let him know what you thought of the episode. Maybe there was a takeaway. Maybe there was something that he said that you're going to apply into your life. Now, maybe you're going to read the book, whatever it is. And then you can also take a screenshot 
tag Dr. Will Cole, tag myself with the biggest thing that you learned or a takeaway because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.